Welcome back to Truck Tech. Great to see everybody this week. You know, last week we brought you a fountain in the background, which was the uh, Belle Isle in Detroit. This week we're coming to you from Cleveland, at least this part of the show is coming from Cleveland, where we are finishing up the Future of Supply Chain event at, uh, at the uh, Huntington Convention Center. Behind me is the Fountain of Eternal Life here in Cleveland, built in 1964 on Public Square. Seemed like a wonderful place to tell you about our show this week, where we will have our interview with Mujib Ijaz, who is the CEO and founder of Our Next Energy. You can watch that right now. Hey, Mujib, it is great to see you. Thank you for taking time to spend time with me here uh, with the Freight Waves and Truck Tech. Um, I guess I'd like the audience to know a little bit about you. Maybe you can kind of turn with me and, and uh, yeah, you know, it's just sort of how did we get to here where we are now, this beautiful building, which you've been in since August. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for visiting us. And it was good to meet you at ACT Expo and we're great to be, uh, great to have this opportunity to chat with you. So how did we get here? Um, well, first of all, we started in July of 2020. We had three goals in mind. We could see that electric vehicles were taking off. The market was starting. We started imagining what would this market look like in seven to 10 years here in the United States. And we can see the massive market in the United States is trucks and SUVs. But trucks and SUVs are going to put a larger demand on batteries because they need to tow. They, at high speed, lose more energy faster than other vehicles because they're drag coefficient and other topics can kind of like drop the range faster. And we looked at the range of an electric vehicle as being the primary question that people have when they buy an electric car. As we calculated out towing, hill climbing, winter, driving at high speeds, and trucks and SUVs, we arrived at the need to move the average from 300 miles up to about 600 miles. And at that level, you would capture the full market. So not to say there isn't a market at 300, there is, but we think that there's a much greater market, the full complete market. And you speak your passenger car, passenger Passenger car, truck and SUV and, and sedan. So because we're freight waves and because we mostly focus on bigger vehicles and kind of call it four to eight, classes four to eight. Yeah. How does this, how does what you're doing affect that? Yeah. So as we move up in range as our primary goal, what that starts to do is it try, it develops a pack solution that can offer more energy in a smaller space. Okay. What that means for delivery vehicles is that they can have smaller pack size, less weight. They can achieve their 200 mile mission. I think it's very important to think about these class four to class eight vehicles is having many, many different types of missions, including winter being a big factor and also driver comfort. You know, I, I remember reading an article that one of the drivers of a, a delivery uh, uh, van said that their uh, company had issued a memo not to allow heat because the doors were open all the time and it was just draining the battery so fast and they didn't have the range to handle that. Well, that's a factor. Like it's not just the range of the vehicle. It's also the usability, the functional usability. So what we saw in this company is we needed a lot more energy in the same space to meet real world conditions across the board. Let me ask you the question about breakthrough, true breakthrough. I mean, you're doing efficiency moves, right? With the chemistry you're using and, and that sort of thing. Are we anywhere near a true breakthrough that would make batteries sort of obviate the need for hydrogen, for example? Yeah. So class eight, uh, as you think about class eight trucks, I think it's a foregone conclusion that the class eight market is the next big market. 
that is a very, very interesting market for us to go after. They need around a megawatt hour. That's a thousand kilowatt hours. Uh, it is a large, large number. And in the context of needing that megawatt hour, we think that those kinds of products are going to need to double the energy density of today's battery. A around a 2x change would give them in the tractor the capability to package very easily that full megawatt hour of energy. And that delivers around five to 600 miles of range with payload. If you can get to five to 600 miles, that's also about the, the time for a driver to be able to rest and then fast charging it sort of the truck stops would be the next topic to take care of because that's a lot of charging power that's needed. But we are working right now on exactly that battery. We have a project in place with a class eight uh, partner that would go after a full megawatt hour of energy on board. And we've created a battery technology called Gemini that can fully deliver that in the same space as what most companies can only do around 500 kilowatt hours in. So it's around double the energy density. So that's an so example that's of how that's that right. A breakthrough. That's and right. And can you talk about timing? How long until we would see something like that? Yeah, we're looking to demonstrate that this year. Uh, so in terms of the first proof of concept, uh, we are working on battery products that double the energy density at the lab scale, at the cell level. We've already demonstrated that we can do that. Now we're working on integrating a scale up effort to then put packs together and then go into class eight platforms by next year. Uh, our goal is to deliver on the delivery segment a range of products. Uh, lithium iron phosphate is used in many delivery vehicles for the purpose of cost, safety, and durability. People that care about 15-year life, 10-year life, they want that durability. So LFP has been used for that. And our battery technology, whether it's Aries or Gemini, both of those batteries use LFP for the baseline. In the Gemini's case, we add a range extender. So if you need to make a very long trip, that you can extend the range of that vehicle. Okay, using another technology or? Using another technology that we've developed that's based on, not on LFP or iron, but more on manganese. Oh. As we've developed that battery technology based on manganese, we can extend the range of an electric vehicle up to that 600 miles for a passenger car or up to that 600 miles on a Class 8 truck. In, in both cases, if you see our goals, our goals are to get to the point where 600 miles is possible, whether it's a sedan, an SUV, a pickup truck, or even a class eight truck, that the battery technology should meet the energy density, that all of these platforms can have that level of range, because that's kind of the human, the human limit to how long you would be willing to drive something before you need to rest. Sure. Yeah. When you talk about the class eight side, the, the, the thing that makes it sort of on par, if you will, is the charging possibility, right? I mean, the idea of being able to do megawatt charging, which people talk about, we have a standard now with Charn, right? Yeah. For megawatt yep. charging. Yep. And uh, we do have some some prospects, but it's early, right? It's pretty early for, for that. I mean, what today we can do what? 175 to 200, 300 kilowatt charging? It, yeah, yeah 300, 300 kilowatt charging is very well demonstrated. And yeah. I think they go up to the megawatt is somewhat unique. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably not necessarily the delivery of the megawatt. That's the toughest problem to solve, but it's the 10 megawatts worth of trucks that are charging at the same time right. to start becoming the more interesting topic. And so what we need to think about is as charging infrastructure is there's a likely pairing of batteries in the charging infrastructure as well. Because what you can think about is the grid will provide a certain amount of node power to like a rest stop or a charging area. And if you could say that node power times 24 hours, 
is the total amount of energy. If you could deploy that into batteries and wait for these trucks to pull up mm-hmm. and they could fast charge the trucks, that's what the trucks want. The trucks want to spend one or two hours max charging and get on their way. Right. Whereas, you know, you don't have like, you know, trucks that are literally going to sit there for 10 hours, like you could do overnight in a home. So therefore batteries might be necessary as part of the charging network at the same time as they are increased in performance on the vehicle. Stationary batteries that That's are ready right. to go and you can- They're grid tied. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you an example of that. Let's see, let's use a, a like a, a simple model. If you have, um, let's say a charging station for passenger vehicles, like a gas station, and that gas station has a certain power coming into it. We did a calculation that it could handle 50 vehicles on its normal max power capability in a day or 300 vehicles if you added a stationary battery to it. And the reason is because you're leveling out the demands of when people need to charge and fast charging them with the 24-hour day where the batteries can fill up and then deploy quickly. So fast charging or batteries stationary are a good mechanism to also help transportation. And you're willing and able to do all of this. I mean, there's no, you're not, you don't seem limited by anything in the, you know, from what I've heard thus far. I mean, you can deliver for any of those particular needs. Yeah. Part of the root of the company was to think a little differently about what the future constraints will be. And first constraint is if you fully electrify everything, like you're into passenger cars, class eight trucks, you go all the way through the grid and like solar storage, you're going to need a lot of batteries. And as you need a lot of batteries, you have to have an abundant material. The root of everything is what's the right abundant material. Well, we read about that in the first three months of the company, the like thought process was pick the right long-term strategy, like decade long and pick the right abundant materials. Cause if you have good material availability, and you can pair with that material availability equals low cost, you're more likely to win in the long run. So cobalt is not a really very abundant material. We avoided that. We avoided nickel. We selected iron and we selected manganese. Those are very abundant materials and they're very low cost. Then the next thing is get range. People want range. That's the most important next attribute of an electric car is don't sacrifice the security that people need that your vehicle can handle all kinds of conditions. I'll give you an example. You're buying a class eight truck and some routes are Kansas and other routes are Colorado. You don't want to have an insecurity between these two routes, nor do you want to say that I can only buy 20% of my class eight trucks electric, 80% need to stay diesel because I can't rely on winter, hill climbing, payload. You need the security. So what we thought about is not that every car or every class A truck has to be 600 miles. But what we, what we do believe is that when people are making a buying decision, you know, do I want to invest in this product for my 10 years? They don't want the uncertainty that somehow during the life of that product, it runs into a condition set that make it useless. You would not want that. And there, therefore we're pushing the boundary up on range as a way to really accelerate the total market. The idea being to give more range than is really needed so that you do. I mean, we've talked about, in, uh, you talked about insecurity. I think, you know, range anxiety is the term that's been thrown around sure. for just the beginning, right? Yeah. And this idea is not just remove the range anxiety, but perhaps put more range than is even needed 
to address some of the yeah. possible drawdowns. Yeah. The reason for people not wanting are not like the reason for OEMs not targeting 600 miles is no battery companies offering that. That's the simple thing. We became a battery company that also had a little bit of rooted experience in automotive as OEM team members have joined our company. And I, I had some time at OEM as well. We understand the vehicle side, but then we look at it from the battery lens. And we see that if we can, as a battery company, overcome the obstacles of range, safety, and supply chain, the range of a vehicle going up to 600 miles, the safety being, we don't, we should never threaten a product with a thermal runaway that leads to a vehicle fire. And third thing is we should develop the North American supply chain with abundant materials. If we can overcome those three things, then we as a battery company have done something to enable the OEMs, the car companies and the truck companies to decide what they want. Then they can choose. They can say, I want small, medium, large on rate. That's kind of what all products have anyway. Most products are like base, middle, premium. And when you give the base, middle, premium, buyers have all the choices they need to not worry about adoption. Then they worry about right sizing for the type of purpose they have. And that's what you're offering. And that's what we're offering. That's right. Perspective. Let me ask you, because it has to come up, you know, it used to be, it used to be either or now there's more acceptance of, and I think you probably saw this when you were at, uh, at the Act Expo is that hydrogen maybe is more accepted now as seen as a solution for certain use cases, much more than it had been in the past. Do you agree with that? You know, I worked on hydrogen. I spent three years of my career as a hydrogen tank design engineer at Ford, and then another two years in fuel cell vehicle integration. So five years in hydrogen. And what I concluded in that is that hydrogen as a mechanism for energy transport has to go through first extraction. You have to get it from natural gas or water or some other process because it doesn't exist otherwise. You have to then store it. Then you have to transport it. Then you have to put it in a vehicle, compressed or liquid or whatever. Then you have to reconvert it back to electricity in the vehicle. And when you do all of that versus just putting the electron in the vehicle, I think the, the, the generation storage between generation and battery versus generation and all of what I just said for hydrogen will always work out to be better in favor of battery if we just had a high enough energy density. Okay. That's all. So batteries are long-term, I think, the right strategy, and they will obviate the need for hydrogen. But right now, batteries don't do that job. So for long-haul trucking, for those that are trying to plan a clean future of zero emissions on the roadway and are coming up with very good ways to generate hydrogen, then hydrogen represents another alternative. But I think it's an interim alternative. I don't think that it will last permanently because I think long-term, the battery roadmaps are looking very promising and we will overcome the hesitation at a class eight truck level within this decade, for sure. We're going to have class eight trucks that fully meet mission profile and hydrogen will not have been necessary by the end of this decade, in my opinion. Interesting. And while you should have that opinion, given what you make and the fact that you're investing. Let's talk a little bit about, about one as a, do you go by one or is it? Yeah, one. One. Sure. All right. So you have a manufacturing facility under construction, correct? And you've got uh, operations, I guess, around the world. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the scope and ultimately the scale of your business. Can you? Yeah. So as of right now, we have a 20 gigawatt hour factory here in Michigan that is under construction. 
we have the building now complete. We've poured concrete in the first phase. We have the first equipment in that first phase coming and installed by August. We'll have that first phase running by the end of this year. By the end of next year, we'll have 10% of the factory running at two gigawatt hours. And then over a period of another year, we'll start ramping that up to more of the complete capacity, the full scale of the factory. Right. The factory itself was the largest LFP factory that has been announced here in the United States. And what we're looking to do as we implement that factory is develop a roadmap for that factory giving birth to the second and third and fourth. And we think that scaling the company is really the toughest task that we have. We've reached a technology milestone where we've proven a lot of the de-risking of technology has been done. Now it's a matter of like brick and mortar and scale up and equipment and then the people and then workforce development and then all of the heavy lifting when it comes to supply chain. And that's really the next big phase. Yeah, you've announced two customers, both of which are in that sort of four to six range uh, space, uh, Shift Group and and also Motive, uh, you know, two companies that, uh, that you have named, but you have other customers in the pipeline. Yeah, probably our largest customer right now is Berkshire Hathaway Energy on utility scale storage. Now, the same battery product is going in both. We have the same Aries battery pack and a utility fleet application as we do in a stationary storage. And that diversity gives us the ability to grow the factories faster with common parts. That's actually super important because common parts lead to better uh, cost efficiency, a better scale up, better quality, better output of, of you know the overall efficiency of the company is greater if we can reuse the same parts in both of these application spaces. And as we grow, we want to grow both together because actually having a diversity of application space gives us the kind of counterbalancing if one sector slows down, another sector might still carry its weight and vice versa. Uh, and then we look to get to automotive as well. When I think about uh, what what you're doing, and, and I write, uh, write as well as talk to a lot of executives of startups, and I, I think it's proper to think of you that way, uh, money is a huge issue, although you have raised about a half a billion dollars, maybe a little bit more mm -hmm. uh, from a scale perspective. Do you need more? We're going to need a lot more. Yeah. Uh, it would not be surprising to me by the end of the decade that we've spent around $7 billion on scaling this company. Wow. And in order to scale it, we have to have bankable customers and bankable customers means that the customer's projects are more certain and their ability to back their orders is more certain. So what we do in the beginning is we use venture capital. Then we transition to growth capital. Then we transition to Department of Energy loans because they're very much the best loans you can get. And then we transfer to customers funding their own lines because they want to like capacity scale that for themselves. And so that's kind of the growth strategy of the company. Eventually, as the company is seeing this massive shift on utility scale storage and class eight trucking and then the automotive sectors, as we see all of these markets growing, and I feel like there is this energy transition, this big switch that's moving in slow motion right now, but by the end of the decade, we're going to see such a big, remarkable movement in this country towards electrification, in my opinion, that scaling factories will no longer be the job of smaller investors or even federal government loans. They're going to become national security priority. It's going to become necessary and interesting to the federal government to grow companies like one 
because ultimately this is the sector. It's all about scaling renewable energy in the capacities that equal the whole utility system wanting to go renewable and the whole transportation sector wanting to go renewable. That's where I think the scale really does take off. When you've got, uh, you mentioned loans, federal federal loans, DOE loans, uh, which you know have been out there for a while, really. They, they've been there. The incentive environment that we have now, which of course is not forever, does that help you in any yeah. way? It levels the playing field. Um, if I look at the most important factor in cost, I'll give you three numbers. Um, if I look at the cost of a low volume uh, production gasoline vehicle, um, you could end up with a $60,000, $70,000 vehicle at 10,000 units a year. Same vehicle, I take that up to about 50,000 units a year, goes half the price. Take that up to another 100,000 vehicles and you could take a third more off. And that's exactly what's going on with batteries. And if we don't have the help in the beginning, if we don't have the Inflation Reduction Act give us a cost neutralization where a third of the cost of the battery is covered, then we can't get to scale because we're not globally competitive. So what it effectively is doing is it's establishing a globally competitive uh, way for us to scale. I did an overlay of uh, China's scale up on batteries and where we are right now. And if I match them, and they interestingly match line for line, we're eight years behind. That's the number, eight years behind. If I look at now what's coming, I can see that by 2030, our company with our market share projections will be at around 130 gigawatt hours. Right now, we're targeting 20 in 2025. So that's a 5x scale or 6x scale in just five years. That means year over year, we're building that kind of levels of factories. Well, we didn't count that we would be the only market leader. There are going to be five of us here in the United States, I think. And in that context, the market growth that we're going after is going to need more than just federal support. It'll need customer OEM support. It'll need a, a significant investment to create energy transition. Okay. Uh, Portero would be in that group. Who else is in that group? Well, in terms of the major truck companies, I think Daimler truck, Volvo truck. Well, I was thought you were talking about the, the, the batteries. I'm sorry. You said there'll be five. Oh, I see. Battery makers? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it, to my understanding, I should say cell makers. Okay. Cell makers are a different yep. uh, like level. It's like conversion like of raw materials yeah. all the way up. Yeah. yeah right. So say so yes. Uh, think about um, the companies that are currently in the market share. You have joint ventures that involve the three Korean companies, LG, Energy Systems, SKI, uh, Samsung, SDI. Those three companies are here, are starting to scale with partnerships. Uh, of course, Panasonic, Tesla, and Tesla by themselves, they have probably the largest scale, obviously, in the U.S. market. Uh, we hope to be among those leaders. And as we're scaling and we're independent and we're a U.S. company, uh, I would say you could think of it as born and bred here. Uh, as that happens, we want to earn the confidence of the market that we are First of all, not over-partnered, meaning we stay neutral and we stay independent. Neutral and independent is important because any OEM can work with us and we're not going to over-align or joint venture or over-commit to any one party because we want to maintain our neutrality to become the U.S. battery company. Okay. And in that context, I said that we're one of five. I hope we're the highest of the five. 
Yeah. Well, do you have a, a share projection that goes with uh, what you mentioned? Yeah, we we modeled out that we could be at around 20% just to be neutral and say there are five players and we're one of the five. We don't need to be overly ambitious in that prediction. Right. But in fact, what happens is when you get a company recognized as a leader, the investability of the company goes up and the scale of the capital that comes into the company goes up with execution. If you can execute, maintain neutrality, maintain leadership and technology. If we're a company offering 300 mile range with LFP and a 600 mile range with our dual chemistry, and we can even further advance that story in years to come as our technology should never stand still, it should keep growing, then we have, then we have a lot to offer companies that are looking for that diverse range of products. Well, hey, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Mujib. You know, he is a really brilliant guy. The history we were able to bring you during that segment is pretty special. When you think about how electric cars really did precede gasoline cars in this country, his collection that he's working on, as well as the brilliance of the work that he's doing at One is really something. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.